incredibly generous church with. You guys continue, this church continues to be generous with with so much of what they have. And, and, and not only is it appreciated by me, that's, that's fine, but it is a, an example, just one example, one example of continued faith, trust in Jesus. I've told you that uh, Ashley and I like to challenge ourselves every year uh, because every year uh, God provides what we need. I, I can't say any more than that. You know, an incredible joy, an incredible blessing. God takes care of us. And so we're watching this as we go through the year. This is the second Sunday. We try to have this up the second Sunday. Remind everybody of, uh, of our giving and our generosity. The other thing I want to do, and she's not here today, uh, but Marley Ham, or at least she's not here in this service, Marley Ham is heading to camp this week. Uh, she's going to Camp Union, and so certainly want to uh, pray for Marley uh, and uh, make sure that she has a, uh, a good and a productive week at camp, safe week at camp, and a fun week at camp. I remember going to camp. It was always a lot of fun, very exciting, uh, good times, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> some bad days, but for the most part, it was a lot of fun. And so I just want to lead us in, in prayer for Marley Ham. okay? Father, we thank you for Marley. We thank you for the whole Ham family. We thank you, Father, that she is uh, just precious, precious little girl, a part of this church. We thank you that she gets the opportunity and the gift of going to camp today. Uh, so, Father, we ask for safety. We ask that uh, uh, she uh, remains safe, doesn't get hurt while she's away. We ask, Father, also that she understands, begins to understand even more about the love that Jesus has for us. And also, Father, we ask that uh, she enjoy her time, that you help her to have fun, that you help her to uh, grow to know, uh, be that reflection of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we will be in a number of spots today as we look at uh, our next piece of armor. However, where you might want to turn is the first chapter of Luke. We're going to go through a couple of verses before we get there. But that's the thrust of our message today, the first chapter of Luke. I uh, have done a number of things in life, and I consider myself a fairly... I would not consider myself an athlete, however... I do consider myself a relatively athletic, athletic person, okay? Um, and I've tried a lot of different sports and done a lot of different things. There's only one thing that I can think of uh, that I've tried once and said, no way, never doing this again, this is not for me, I can't handle this. I don't know how many of you have ever been ice skating. I have been once, one time. Ashley and Sam wanted to go ice skating, so being the incredible husband and father that I am, I said, all right, let's go. And I crept. See, here's the, here's the thing about ice skating. If you go to an ice skating rink, people are out in the middle skating, having fun. And then along the edge, there's kids. On the edge, there's kids holding on to the wall. And if you look at all these little kids, and then if, there's, there's this. And, and this, this, that's me holding on to the wall as I'm going. It's, it's one of the hardest... 
I, I don't understand why it's that hard, you know, until I realized you're on just a little thin piece of steel about that big on top of ice, all right? You can put me on a piece of steel that big on top of sandpaper or something, and I would be fine, but you're on ice, and until you get your footing, until you learn, until you understand how the skates work, until you understand how the, 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 the base lays, until you understand that you are on not thin ice, but thick enough ice to hold you, you're continually going to be in fear. You're going to uh, worry about falling and tripping and slipping. And because of that, you're not going to get to experience what it can be. I, I haven't experienced what ice skating can be. I see those people in the Olympics, ice skating and all that stuff. It, to me, that's just fascinating because I think it's incredibly difficult. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen a couple of pieces of armor that we need in order to withstand the spiritual attacks of Satan. The first piece of armor we looked at was what we referred to as a knight's first responsibility or a knight's first duty, and that is the truth. And the truth is not always easy to live up to. The truth is not always easy to pursue. Sometimes when we engage in the truth, which is what we always need to do, we can put ourselves at risk, not our spiritual selves, but we can put our relationships, we can put our very lives, we can put our safety at risk. But the truth that we need to gird ourselves with is the opposite of hypocrisy. The opposite of hypocrisy. I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want my life to transform because of Jesus. And we can only take that up and put that down so often before we have to ask ourselves the question, what exactly do I believe? The next piece of armor we looked at was a knight's pursuit, and that is the pursuit of righteousness. Church, we are granted righteousness when we believe in Jesus Christ. You are granted a lot of things because of, of who you are or how you are. But there is also a responsibility we have, and this is what Paul is telling Timothy, there's a responsibility we have to live up to the righteousness that we have been given. That's the pursuit of righteousness. It doesn't earn righteousness, this right standing with God. That only comes through belief in Jesus Christ. But after we believe in Jesus, Jesus now says, okay, follow me. Follow me. That is living up to the righteousness of Christ. Today, we make sure that we have sure footing. In other words, we look at a night's assurance today. Let's pray. Once again, Father, we ask for a blessing upon this message. We ask for a blessing upon our hearts as we look at your word, as we look at the wonderful uh, uh, teaching and, and incredible education that Paul gives us, that your servant gives us. We ask, Father, that we are able to apply these things to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I find a, one verse particularly interesting in Scripture. And some of you may be familiar with this verse. Although, to some of you, this may be uh, kind of a rude awakening. The verse we find is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. 
By the way, that sword he's talking about is the Word of God, the Word of God being true, being honest. We've talked about this at length before. There are so many people in the world who want to hear truth and want to hear truth and want to hear truth until they actually hear truth. (laughs) And then they don't like it because it isn't what they said or isn't what they pictured. He says, for I've come to turn a man against his father, daughter against his mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Well, if that's all I knew of Jesus, in fact, if, if I was in the habit of failing to see things in its proper context, I think I'd leave this alone. I think I'd walk out. I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with this God of Scripture if He's going to say words like this. I'd ask myself, what did I get myself into? What did we sign up for? After all, I thought peace meant that everyone gets along. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, is He not? we're We're told, we're taught throughout Scripture to pursue peace in our lives. How in the world does Jesus say such a thing? After all, isn't peace all standing together in a circle, holding hands and singing songs? Is Jesus serious about this? Or perhaps I'm reading these words incorrectly. How on earth can Paul talk about the gospel of peace if Jesus says these words? Ephesians 6, this is where we are in our primary study. Ephesians 6, 14 and 15, stand firm. Stand firm. So Paul's going to tell us, talk to us about standing firm spiritually. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. This peace that Paul's talking about, this peace that we refer to when we look at the gospel of peace is not peace between people. I wish it was. I wish it was. Because there's a lot of unrest between people, a lot of hatred between people. There are many people in this world that hate Jesus. And if they're going to hate Jesus, they're going to hate followers of Jesus. It's just the world in which we live. So Paul's not talking about peace between people. What is he talking about when he says the gospel of peace? This peace is absolute certainty that God is on your side. You see, because just prior to this, Paul was talking about righteousness. Righteousness is being in a right standing with God. We gain that right standing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that we are in a right standing with God can and should bring peace to our lives and our hearts. That God is on our side, or perhaps more to the point, we are on God's side. This peace is the sure footing we need. And by the way, Paul says, to be fitted with the readiness. We're going to get to the readiness part here in a little bit. But to be fitted is to be formed, to be used to, just like our breastplate being fitted to the person, the shoes need to be fit to the person as well. It is the sure footing we need. 
If we believe last week that we are righteous before God, we must also believe in the peace that we have with God. Paul uses the example of Abraham in Romans 4. This will be on your screen as he summarizes this gospel of peace. And you've heard this passage before. Yet Abraham, and all of the difficulty and hardship and struggle, yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him, listen now, the words it was credited to him are not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. We talked about that last week. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, prior to Jesus, we were separated from God, enemies of God. We make ourselves enemies of God. Every time we forget about, every time we, 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 we give up on the authority and love of our Father. And yet it's Jesus who rebuilds this bridge. Paul goes on to say, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, this undeserved favor, in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Church, we lack confidence sometimes, because we do not understand, or we do not believe our standing before the God of creation. We lack confidence because we do not have assurance that God loves you. He gave Jesus for you. He wants you to live with him eternally and forever. In, uh, in a joust, we're going to have our tilt up here next week. But in a joust, the faster a knight moves, or the more resolved he is to advance, the more power he has, the stronger he is. What if he is uncertain as he runs down the lists? What if the knight stops or falters? What if even the horse he is on throws a shoe? When I think of being shod with something, I think of horseshoes rather than people. What if even the horse throws a shoe, walks down the rail? Well, the knight is liable to be annihilated by the oncoming battle. With the Romans, they were special battle shoes. Special sandals that had nails or cleats in the bottom of them. They prevented the soldier from being pushed back. They helped the soldier advance forward. In other words, these shoes put them in the right position for victory. Could we have one of those up there? I was sure this week. Hey, there we go. Didn't have one last week. This is what they looked like. And the Roman soldiers didn't wear these all the time. The Roman soldiers had different sandals for marching. But these battle shoes hung on the back of the belt, the belt of truth. And when it was time for battle, these shoes would be changed prior to running into battle. It no doubt served as a reminder that the battle is now upon us and we are going to see it through. These shoes were built for going forward, not backward. 
They were not built for running away. What if the knight is against the king? What if the knight feels that the king is against him? What if he didn't trust the king? Will he be able to give his full service to the king? If the knight thinks that he and the king are on opposite sides, will he have the same courage, the same strength, the same resolve or conviction that he might otherwise have? Will he be able to see battle through? There's a story in Scripture of an incredible knight. Incredible knight. The battle she engages in is perhaps the heaviest weight that one can be asked to bear. She was asked by her king's messenger to be a potential outcast. She was asked to put her life in danger. She was asked to put her relationships in danger, her reputation, her safety, her plans, even her own home as she lived as a fugitive. This knight was asked to believe in the impossible. The impossible. Hadn't happened. Hadn't happened since, and it hadn't happened before. Believe in the impossible with only your king's word to rely on. I got to tell you, if there's anyone in the world who has an excuse to say no, if there's anyone in the world who's going to lack peace in their lives, it's her, Luke chapter 1, 26 to 28. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, listen closely now, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. What are the shoes of the gospel of peace that Paul's talking about? The question is, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your pursuits, when it comes to your mind, your heart, do you believe, when you show up into the throne room of God, do you believe these words? Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Because I got news for you, if you believe in Jesus, it's true. When you stroll in to the grand throne room of God, These are the words you hear. The Lord is with you. It's true for you if you believe in Jesus. It's true for you. It's true for all of you. By the way, it's true for Holden and Courtney. Holden and Courtney are going to be baptized next service. I don't know why they're suffering through this sermon twice, but they're going to be baptized next service. Congratulations to both of you. Very exciting day. It's the same greeting that we get through Jesus Christ. You see, God is about to send Mary into battle. God is sending her into battle. She didn't didn't look for this. She didn't desire this. She didn't plan this in her life. Not only that, battle is going to be upon Mary her whole life, and it is going to get really bad. God even comes right out and tells Mary this through the prophet Simeon in Luke chapter 2. 
34 and 35, then Simeon, this is when they took Jesus to the temple when he was very young, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. There's a battle. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. There's a battle. So that the thought of many hearts will be revealed. There's a battle. Look at what he says about Mary. And a sword is going to pierce your own soul as well. Mary knew what she was getting into. Mary needs something to give her strength, courage. She needs something to give her assurance in the midst of battle. And what does God tell her? I am on your side. If you give your life to Jesus. If you give your life to the Son. God is on your side. David knew this in the midst of his battles. He knew what peace was in the midst of chaos. Do you ever really wonder what the 23rd Psalm was about? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He he leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. Along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is walking with God through battle. It's the same thing Mary does. It's the same thing you can do. Because I guarantee you, you're going to come up with someone who wants you destroyed. You're going to come up against somebody who disagrees with the truth of Jesus Christ. And all they want is you out of the way. Well, I tell you. Satan can work on the shoes. Imagine going into battle barefoot, right? I mean, I can almost imagine going into battle. I can almost imagine going into battle without a helmet. I can almost imagine going into battle without a breastplate. I can almost even imagine going into battle without a sword. Without shoes? Barefoot? How much strength are you going to have? How much assurance are you going to have? How much courage are you going to have? Oh, it's been done before. But trust me, everyone who does it wishes they had shoes. David knew what it was like to be shod with faith in Jesus. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. These are the words Paul is talking about. And how does God calm Mary's fear? How does the messenger calm Mary's fear? Luke 1, 29-30. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. I would be troubled at a lot of things right now, not just his words. Mary was troubled at his words, wondering what kind of greeting this may be. But the angel said to her, listen closely now, remember the words of David, remember the words of Paul. What does the messenger say to Mary? Do not be afraid, you have found favor with God. Church, that is a message to Mary and it's a message to you. Don't be afraid, you found favor with God. Did you earn it? Absolutely not. But the great thing is then, it can't be taken away. Jesus gave it. He gave it to you and he gave it to me to find favor with God. Once again, imagine the knight on the battlefield facing down the rush of the barbarians. Imagine if he were alone. 
Imagine if he were a renegade, an enemy of the king, separated from the king and on his own facing attack after attack. Now imagine a different scenario. Imagine if his king were on his side standing right there. Imagine hearing the words of his king as we hear in Jeremiah, as we hear from those who follow Christ. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future. Then he makes a promise, you're going to call on me and pray to me and I'm going to listen to you. You'll seek me and you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Isn't that what Jesus does? Brings us back from captivity. Not to leave us alone. Not to leave us as orphans. But to leave us as sons and daughters of the King. This is exactly what Jesus did and does for us. And by the way, church, in the midst of battle, Jesus doesn't run. Jesus doesn't run. He doesn't threaten. He doesn't quit. He doesn't run. That's who's on your side. That's the gospel of peace. Not only does Jesus dig his feet in the ground, but does so in front of you and tells those who would wage war on your spirit, you want to get to him, you got to go through me. That's what your king does. And even with all the uncertainty, all the battles to come, all the knowledge that she has, Mary trusts her king. Luke 1, 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. She didn't have to say yes. You know that, right? Sometimes we think that Mary didn't have a choice here. Sometimes we think that this was going to happen whether Mary wanted to or not. No, Mary had a choice. to Either engage in battle or not. Mary had a choice to either follow her king or not. You have a choice. I have a choice. And here we have the perfect example of our response to what Paul actually says. When we read through 615, sometimes we look at gospel, sometimes we look at peace. But what is Paul actually saying? With your feet fitted with the readiness, the readiness, or the preparation, depending on what translation you're using, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is being prepared to act. This is the knight that is convicted because he knows the king is on his side in battles. Now, this is not licensed to do whatever we want and assume that we're going to be blessed. Last week, we talked about the pursuit of righteousness, didn't we? Last week, we talked about the pursuit of beautiful things, honorable things, noble things. At no point do we, we see rage or, or, or hatred or, or violence. At no point do we see selfishness or pride. No, no, God doesn't like those things. Don't assume that you're going to get this stamp of approval, but also don't assume that God's just going to walk out. His son died for you. He's not going to leave. But he does want us to pursue righteousness. 
this readiness is the assurance that we have. So why a Christmas story? I mean, there's, there's really a million stories, honestly, I could pick in Scripture to really talk about this, and frankly, some of them be better. We could pick many instances where we see people reconciled to the Father. You know, the prodigal son is a great example of someone being reconciled to the Father, which I still attest is just a bad title for that. It should be the loving Father, but they didn't ask me when they wrote that down. We could see a great many instances of God's faithfulness to Israel, particularly in the book of Joshua, as they are going into battle. Why Christmas? Because this is where, church, we get the very first heavenly proclamation. Proclamation of peace between you and God. This is where God fully begins to make known to the world this plan of reconciliation. We got to see bits of it and pieces of it through the Old Testament. But here, on the day or the night that Jesus is born, now the plan is unleashed. This is the moment where all of us realize that we are or can be greeted by God in the very same way that Mary is greeted. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. This gospel of peace was the grand message that the angels gave to the shepherds so many years ago. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Same thing the angel said to Mary. Same thing the angel said to you and I. Same thing the Father says to you and I, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Do you know what the word gospel means? Good news. I bring you the gospel message, so don't be afraid anymore. I bring you the gospel message, so we are reconciling God and man. And this good news will cause great joy for who? For all people yourself included. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, here's the message, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Ought to sound real familiar to what the angel said to Mary. Don't be afraid, you have found favor in God's eyes. You may say peace on earth, goodwill toward men, depending on your translation. Peace on earth is peace between us and God. Goodwill toward man is God's goodwill toward you and I. The peace is between us. It's not a message of peace between people, church. Never was. That's not what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. That's not what the angels are talking about here. And as much as I want peace between people, I'm sort of glad that this is not what they're talking about. Because I look around, and there's not peace between people. There's unrest between people. And yet I know that this message of peace can be fully realized in my life. Peace is something that we must pursue between people, but it's simply not a guarantee. Let's not completely 
throw out the baby with the bathwater. Look at Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This is the single hardest verse in all of Scripture. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Who wouldn't want to do that? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look, peace between people is something to pursue. We are commanded to do that, but that's not this everlasting guaranteed peace that we have in the midst of every battle. The peace between us and God is the right position for victory. This is our assurance that God sees us as holy and righteous and treats us accordingly. By the way, every time he treats someone as righteous, God raises the bar. It is the gospel that makes us ready to stand, to act, even to charge. You see, through Jesus Christ, God is not our enemy. He is not some, one of the worst definitions of God I've ever heard. A deity that must be pleased. I've actually read that on multiple occasions. I hate that definition. Don't believe that definition. He is not some distant deity that must be pleased. He is your ally. And more than that, I want you to, this isn't going to be on your screen. I just want you to listen to these words. This is God. In you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 9, Paul says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit, His Spirit, who lives in you. Finally, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. What then shall we say in verse 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Listen, no one. I thought God condemned. I thought Jesus Christ was this righteous judge that condemns. 
Paul says, who is it that condemns? Who is it in your life? Who is it that's going to condemn you? Who? God? Nope. No one. Why? Because God is on our side. Because we're reconciled back to the family of Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. Who's going to condemn you? Nobody. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, church? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written all day long, for your sake we face death all day. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, writes Paul, that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is on your side and always will be. Are we going to make mistakes? Are we going to mess up? Is God going to discipline us? I certainly hope he's going to discipline us. I don't do it right. Just getting better, I suppose. That's the gospel of peace. And this is what allows us to make the charge. But church, you have to believe it. You have to believe that if you have accepted Jesus Christ, that you and God are on the same team. That you're allowed to walk into the throne room, not in arrogance, but with confidence. As a son, as a daughter, not as a slave. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do love us. We thank you that you are on our side. We thank you, Father, that... You continually work for us. That Jesus continually intercedes for us, Father. We thank you, Father, that we can go into life and into battle with confidence. We thank you, Father, that we can stare down, that we can face down the evil and the enemy and the struggle and the trial and the persecution. Because we know we are in the right. Because we know what is true. Because we do pursue what is noble, what is beautiful, what is lovely. And we know, Father, that we stand there with our King. We also know, Father, that it's because of Jesus that we're able to do this. And it's for that that we praise you. It's for that that we sing to you. Father, it's for that that we know cannot be taken away. I thank you, Father, that we are sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to stand, I'm going to close.